The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. So my wife and I arrived in Hamilton in the summer of 2019. And I began work officially at Emmanuel in September of that year. I spent the first six months swimming around in the deep end, trying to figure out where I had landed. I had spent almost all my ministry time working in small towns in Ontario in small congregations. And so coming to Hamilton, it's a rather large city, Emmanuel is a rather large building. It's got quite a few people in there, more than I'm used to. And so then I thought I had things a little bit figured out when March 2019 happened. And then nobody knew what was going on anymore. So that was helpful. So over the last six months, now that things have kind of wound down and we're trying to figure out what a new normal is, I've been able to sort of sort through life and try to make some sense of where I am. And one of the things I noticed is that I was still quite connected to a lot of things in my previous life. And so I thought I had to undo some of that. And what, it went like this. I would uh, open up my computer in the morning and Facebook would tell me about birthdays of people that I really wasn't associated with anymore. And I thought to myself, I've got to do something about that. And so I discovered that in the bowels of Facebook, you can defriend people, which is this beautiful little thing. You open up Facebook and uh, you hit this little icon and they are no longer your friends, just with the click of a button. And the beauty of it is they don't even know. Unless somewhere along the line they're smart enough to realize that they're not getting my birthday notifications anymore. But I don't think so. So the other thing I noticed is that when I had moved to Hamilton, one of the things I discovered is this app called Nextdoor. Some of you are on that? None of you are on Nextdoor? Well, you should all be on Nextdoor. It's this great little app where you can connect with your neighbors. And it's broken down into all the neighborhoods of Hamilton. And because I was new, I didn't know the distinction between the different neighborhoods, and so I just signed up for them all. So here I realize I'm getting notifications about stuff that's going on in Stony Creek, and it's like, I don't need to know that. And I was getting notifications of this neighborhood called Duran, and it's like, where's that? And it's like, well, I don't need to know about that. And so I disassociated myself from all these neighborhoods, except for Buchanan, because that's where I live. And so I only know about things that are happening right next door. And my life was simplified, and I got rid of all of these distractions. And I got thinking about this and, and realized, you know, we do the same kind of thing with the church. When I grew up, I was, we lived out in the countryside, and we had to drive into the city to go to the church, and we would pass all these other church buildings, and some of them were United Churches, and some Baptists, and some Catholics, and and as we were growing up, you know, we got the, to learn that we didn't stop at those churches because they weren't really up to par. They weren't really good enough. 
the place we were going was the best. The Christian Reformed Church. Did you know that once upon a time, this institution that we're part of toyed with the title, The True Dutch Christian Reformed Church? That's just a little tidbit of our history. And I don't think it takes much imagination to understand why they toyed with the name True. So when I got to Hamilton and there was this organization called True City and I discovered it was a bunch of churches, I wasn't quite sure I wanted to join that kind of organization, that kind of network. Still not quite sure why they called themselves True, but it's not a bad place, not a bad network to be part of. But you know, when I was growing up, there were already scandals in the church. This is not really new. There's things like, like Jimmy Baker and Jimmy Swagger, TV evangelists. It was when I was growing up that this sort of euphemism title, TV evangelist, became in vogue. And they were always the bad guys. The simple folk like the CRC folks, they weren't like that. And so I think that when it comes to the year 2022, when there are scandals in the church, many of us still kind of react that way. We're not them. They're not part of us. It's those folks over there. And we disassociate ourselves. We defriend them. We gather around in our local neighborhood and we pretend that the rest of the church doesn't matter. It doesn't affect us. When it comes to the issues around the church in Canada and some of the atrocities that the church has committed, thinking especially of the residential schools that we have come to know about in the past couple of years, somewhere deep in our hearts we go, well, that wasn't us. We weren't part of that. And we defriend that part of the church. We disassociate ourselves from that. And once in a while, somebody will be wise enough to say, but you realize the world doesn't distinguish between one part of the church and the other. And then we feel a little bit bad. But we're really not quite sure what to do with that information. Well, my friends, if there's nothing else that you remember about this morning, I want you to know this. That we as folks of the church, of the Christian Reformed Church, we don't divide the church. We don't believe in an us and a them. We do not defriend 
other parts of the church. We do not say, oh, that's them over there. Deeply rooted in our history is this belief. As the Apostle Creed already said, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. It is in our very deepest theology, our very oldest statement of faith, that we do not divide the church. There is one holy Catholic church, the communion of saints. The Hypercatechism agrees with this. I believe that the Son of God, through the, His Spirit and Word, out of the entire human race, from the very beginning of the world to its end, gathers, protects, preserves. Actually, this is not the hypercatechism. This is the contemporary testimony. Gathers, protects, and preserves for Himself a community chosen for eternal life and united in true faith. And of this community, I am and always will be a living Remember, we do not believe in a divided church. The Belgic Confession says the same. This holy church is not confined, bound, or limited to a certain place or certain people, but it is spread and dispersed throughout the entire world. Though still joined, united in heart and will, in one and the same spirit, by the power of faith. We believe in one church. In our theology, some of you may have read some of this theology, but we distinguish between the institutional church and the organic church. And the institutional church is understood as different congregations, even denominations. First, Christian Reformed Church of Hamilton is part of the institutional church. It's a people that are, are legally bound together, recognized by the province of Ontario and the country of Canada as a charitable organization in this place. That is an institution. But we believe that the first CRC of Hamilton is part of the larger organic church of God, which is spread throughout the world and across denominations. And in the past number of decades, I think we have lifted the institutional church and we have made it the thing. And when we think about church, we think about that institution that we are part of. And it seems to me that in everything that's happening in the world regarding the church, it is much, it is high time that we lifted up the organic sense of church and recognized that the institution, as our theology said, the institution must serve the organic. That the institution must not be organized in such a way that it divides us from other people's, other institutions, but rather that the institution helps us to bind together with other congregations with the organic part of the church. That the church is one church that belongs to Christ to the very end. 
And part of that understanding that there is only one holy Catholic church. When we say holy, we do not mean that it is pure or sinless, but rather that it is set apart by Christ to serve his mission and his kingdom in this world. It is one holy Catholic church made up of sinners. People who are distinctly unholy. And somewhere in the ethos of being church in North America in the past couple of decades, we have come to this false notion that somehow the church ought to be perfect and sinless. And as soon as the church raises its ugliness, as soon as its ugliness becomes evident, then we can disassociate ourselves from that part of the church and say, no, that's not my part. That's not my institution. And no matter what the ugliness looks like, it is high time that we begin to recognize that I am part of that ugliness. How do we live in a broken church? How do we live in a church that manifestly is unholy? And I'm sure there's a whole lot of answers to that question but this morning, Daniel shows us the way forward, at least part of it. Understand that Daniel was a teenager, a young man, 13, 14, 15, when he was captured by the Babylonians and brought into Babylon from Jerusalem. Daniel was now, is now an old man. He's been there a long time, the vast majority of his life. He could easily say, well, that stuff that happened back in Jerusalem in the day, I had nothing to do with it. That wasn't me. He may have pointed the finger at his parents or his grandparents or his aunts and uncles and said, well, it was them. It was their problem. But as Peter rightly identified a few minutes ago here, Daniel says, we. He joins with all the sinners of Jerusalem that were killed and exiled almost 70 years ago. And he identifies with them. And I think that's what the church needs to do today. He identifies with them and he leads his people in confession. He prays to God. And I think it's vital for us to pay attention to Daniel's confession and to note the things that are in there because I think they will be very helpful in leading us forward, becoming a church that is again organically universal. It's one holy Catholic church. Daniel begins where, where all good prayer begins. He begins with God. Not in the sense simply that he is praying to God, but he pauses long enough to recognize the God to whom he is praying, to, to name things about this God, this God who is great and awesome, a recognition that the God he is praying to is not a, a simple God who is simply um, 
You know, it's simply Israel's God. But when, when, when Daniel says that he is a great and awesome God, he is awakening the words of the psalmists of Israel that declare that the, he is the God of the entire universe. That he is not a, a mere God. He is not a, a little God or one among many, but he is the great and the awesome. He is the one and the only he, this God who is great and awesome, who reigns over the entire universe, is also the God, says Daniel, who keeps covenant, who is faithful, who comes to his people in an act of love and stays true to himself. This is mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing because we've never met people on this earth who can claim this. Because we all fail in keeping our promises. But Daniel says this is the God who keeps covenant, who is faithful. He is a God who is righteous. He has not broken covenant. Understand what Daniel's saying. Israel had been given the promised land as their inheritance forever, but they were in Babylon. And so when Daniel says that God has not broken covenant, he is acknowledging before God that it is not God's fault that Israel is in Babylon, that the promised land is in ruins. It is not God's fault. Daniel addresses the God who is great and awesome. And then he begins to speak about Israel as a sinful and wicked and rebellious people, a people who did not listen to God, who refused to obey God's word. Acknowledging that the exile, that the fact that Israel is now in Egypt was not some cruel trick of God, but it was something that God had embedded into the covenant already through Moses when he said to the people of Israel, if you will not obey me, if you insist on disobedience, then you will be exiled from the land. In fact, the land will throw you up, will vomit you out because of your disobedience and sin. Daniel acknowledges that God has been incredibly merciful and patient with his people that according to the terms of the covenant, he could have sent them forth, exiled them generations ago. But God kept coming to his people in love. He kept having mercy on them and forgiving their sin. But in the end, they simply would not receive his mercy. They would not receive his love. And then Daniel appeals to the Lord. And, and I, you need to understand what happened here. Daniel had been reading scripture. And he found out that God had said that the exile would last about 70 years. He would not have known that if he hadn't been reading his Bible. 
such as it was in his day. And so he appealed to the promises of God. He says, God, you said, after 70 years, you would return your people. And so, God, because you have said that, look upon us, forgive our sin, and bring us back. Bring us back to the city that holds your name. You freed us from slavery once, from Egypt. Free us now from exile and bring us home. Daniel invokes the covenant that God made with Israel. He invokes God's faithfulness. And he says, God, because, because you are a God that is faithful, hear my prayer and return us. And I think that the church needs to hear Daniel's confession and make it her own. Because in Daniel's confession, we can come before God with all of the brokenness that the church holds. We can come before God with all of the shame that is associated with things that we, the church, have done. Not we as a simple institution like First Hamilton or Emmanuel, but rather that we as a church is organic. That we are willing to identify ourselves with the church around the world and all the sinfulness of her and say, God, we don't deserve your grace. We don't deserve your attention. We don't deserve the gift of your spirit and of your love. But you have promised, as Jesus said, to build your church. So even though we are not worthy, build us anyways. Not for our sake, but for yours. We should not appeal to the church's worthiness, but to God's word and mercy. Back in Jeremiah, these words, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. They will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. I will make a new covenant with them, says the Lord. The prophet Ezekiel talks about this as well. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I am going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Both Jeremiah and Ezekiel talked about a new covenant that God was going to make with his people. And guess what? On the night of Jesus' crucifixion, he took a cup and he said, this cup 
is a new covenant in my blood. Between Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Jesus Christ, there is no mention of a new covenant. And so all the years in between, the people of Israel are waiting for the fulfillment of this promise. And Jesus picks up the cup and he says, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. All the promises that Jeremiah and Ezekiel made are focused on this cup. The work of Christ on that night when he was betrayed and crucified and killed for the forgiveness of our sins. Rooted in that cup, we may come to God and say, Lord, your church is a failure. Do what you have promised and build your church. And we can walk side by side with people that have sinned. That with us come before God in repentance and seek to be filled with the Spirit and the Word to be built up as a church of Christ. The Apostle Paul continues these themes when he says to the Philippians, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight that you may be able to discern what is best you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God these are the things that God is working out in his church today these are the things that he will continue to work out until the day, until the day that Christ returns this is the ethos of the church today. We need to hear these words. And we need to pray them like Daniel prayed in the Old Testament. And we need to pray that God will build up his church. Pray not because we deserve it. Not because we're holy. Not because somehow we have earned our way into these prayers but because God has promised to make it happen. One of the other tragedies of the church today is that we have lost the mystery of grace. We have somehow gotten hold of this idea that we need to do it ourselves that we need to somehow build the church. We need to build institutions. I am convinced that one of the reasons that we have so many failures in the church, so many public failures, is because we have become convinced that we need to build the church institute. And that if we don't do it, it's not going to happen. 
And we have honestly not heard Jesus' prayer, or Jesus' statement, I will build my church. Yes, he will use sinners like you and I. But we can have hope for the church. Not because of our capacities, not because of our programs, but because of Christ's promise. So my friends, lean deeply on the promises of Christ and trust that he will build his church. Amen. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we confess that we are part of a broken an unholy church. We have many different ways sought to bring glory to ourselves by building fabulous institutions. Forgive us and we pray that you will take off us off of our pedestals so that you can build your church. That we may indeed become a holy people in this world. Amen.